Hello, and welcome to E2 Talks. In this episode, E2 expert teacher David chats with Margaret Corrigan, CEO of Caringbush Adult Education and president of Vic TESOL. Caringbush Adult Education is a non-for-profit registered training organisation and has delivered educational and community developmental programs in Melbourne, Australia, since 1984. In today's podcast, David and Margaret discuss a range of topics, such as Margaret's workplace at Caringbush Adult Education, the value of educational programs for parents and children, the importance of learning in context, and the need for digital literacy. David and Margaret also touch on the hot topic of face-to-face versus digital learning. If you're an English language teacher or avid English language learner or interested in language itself, you don't want to miss this discussion. Enjoy. Welcome to E2 Talks, Margaret. Thank you, David. Great to have you here. Let's start by exploring uh, your workspace. What happens at Caringbush Adult Education? Well, Caringbush Adult Education being a not for, uh, being a, um, a, an RTO, we deliver accredited uh, EAL programs using the EAL framework uh, curriculum. We deliver um, um, English as additional language programs starting from initial, very beginner level through to course and cert one, two and three. Um, uh, to refugees and migrants, um, many of whom live um, close by in Richmond and Collingwood, um, many of whom actually have uh, had trauma in their backgrounds. Um, they live in public housing and, um, uh, you know, really like the, the, the community feel of our centre which is uh, quite user-friendly for people. In addition to our English language programs, we uh, have a community development approach. So we have other wraparound programs to support our learners and other um, uh, residents of the uh, of the area. So we have uh, work readiness programs and uh, other supports like form filling and um, warm referrals to um, other local uh, organisations who might support learners with or support people with um, if they've got legal issues, fines, um, housing issues, family violence, all sorts of um, all sorts of tentacles really into that space as well. So um, that's, you know, we're really interested in supporting people um, in a holistic way. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Uh, so there's a there's a language learning element starting with beginners uh, yep. using an EAL framework, and there's a lot of a support for uh, uh, for their needs uh, for the day to day needs in the community as well. So it's a it's a supportive learning environment. It is. Yeah. So who works there? So we've got uh, qualified teachers who are all um, TESOL qualified. They also have to have a, a certificate four in training and assessment, which is a requirement of, of our funders. Um, so they're all very well qualified teachers and, uh, uh, you know, teaching a variety of um, 
just different levels. Some they're they're all they're all part time. Uh, most of them are part time, working any number of hours. Um, a normal day would be a five hour day, a five hour uh, class. Um, then the, and then there are some other shorter programs, um, but. Uh, I think that pretty much captures it. So we've got, you know, people who want to work for us and are interested in um, in working um, in a bit of a quirky space, shall I say. Yes. Um, yep, hmm. absolutely. And uh, so it takes a very special kind of person to be able to turn up at Rock Up every day and solve all those problems as well or help to solve those yeah, problems. Yeah, that's... But- Yes, that's right. Not that we want the teachers to solve the problems, uh, and we don't require them to solve the problems. However, uh, they have to keep in mind what the, what are they going to do about a problem that a particular learner might present with, and uh, how do they, who are they going to refer to, and uh, so we need to support the teachers uh, to to feel good about that. Great, because mm. well, right, they're a specific kind of learner, aren't they? There's that there are language learners, but they've got other issues going on as well, which um, add to the learning mix. So in terms of um, so what's your position in the organisation, Margaret? So I'm the CEO. So I um, kind of oversee all, all the operations. Um, so keep it, you know, try to keep uh, keep all the balls in the air. Um, and uh, that includes um, grants that we look out for, contracts for different programs, looking for partners to do different projects with, um, uh, you know, we have all kinds mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. going on. Going on all the time. And, uh, so when, when we talk about funding, is this state government funding or is this uh, private industry funding? Or Yep. So we are funded in a variety of ways. So we've got uh, our biggest programs are the federally funded programs AMEP and C, so AMEP being for new arrivals. However, the eligibility rules for that program have changed just um, about a year ago um, and now that's um, more uncapped so we have more AMEP students and they're not all new arrivals now that they could have been here for, for quite some time mm-hmm. and then the skills for education and employment program uh, is also federally funded and, and can you talk a little bit I'm interested in both of those or we're all interested in those areas so firstly AMEP but could you talk about um, the second Second, uh, we call it funding, but what it really is is a, is a system of um, enabling learning to happen to um, lead students to the workplace. Um, how does that how does that um, program work? Yeah, so the, the C program, mm-hmm. you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So look, the C program. Look, it works in a similar way, really, in our space as the AMEP. Um, basically, so in our context, they're learning. They're using the same. We use the same curriculum. However, um, they've got they've got um, the program just has more requirements um, for um, how long they can be in it, and the idea is that they are pathwaying. So, if Centrelink or the, or their Workforce Australia um, um, service provider has asked for them to be in C, then they're in C and they don't really um, get much different treatment in our setting because they're in C. It, it's actually fairly similar. Um, if they're higher level uh, in C, well then we would be, um, you know, there would be a greater focus on employment uh, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. In, the, in the teaching. Mm-hmm. That, that's really the difference. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you say the focus on um 
employment in the teaching, does that mean that um, uh, 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 the scenario, I've worked with AMEP material and I find it a really excellent material in the little mm -hmm. limited time that I had with them, but we know that there's role playing, there's language associated with specific um, activities such as going to the post office or, um, and again, you mentioned filling out forms uh, before um, making purchases in the supermarket. So a language that's specific for um, engaging in the possibility of being employed, for example. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's right. That's what it would be. Um, uh, you know, there'd be just more of the, the topics or the themes of the class would be more employment related rather than you know everyday life related that yeah um, yep yeah yep so how many how many students would participate in a class at Caringbush? uh well we've probably usually got about 15 mm -hmm. or so in a class yeah yep. and well what what um cultural backgrounds are they mostly from yeah so our biggest group uh is vietnamese uh and then our chinese would be our next group and then for Horn of Africans, uh, so we've got um, you know Eritrean, Ethiopian, Sudanese, um, and the, and then a smattering of other backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, uh, talk about how they they, <laughs> they turn up and they turn up at your your place, um, and where do they go afterwards in a moment? But um, are there specific migrant literacy programs? And I noticed when doing a little bit of looking at Caringbush, what happens at, uh, at where you are, is there's something called the Family Literacy Project. Can, yep, what does that mean? Yes, so, so a couple of things there. So um, obviously sort of language and literacy goes together and we, we do have one uh, program where we have one-on-one -on -one mentoring for, um, for students who, they're in our English language class, but they need more assistance with their literacy. And that may be because they, um, have little or no literacy in their first language. They may come from an oral tradition. Uh, and so, you know, learning mm -hmm. literacy for the first time in another language is obviously more difficult. So they, they get one on, can get one-on-one -on -one support there. The family literacy program, that's a different program. And that's where um, we work with, it's mostly mothers. We say parents and their children, but it does happen to be mostly mothers. Um, so we're trying to engage the mothers into into learning and into a, a pathway w where they might have um, opportunities for further training and for employment. Um, but they are they they've got preschool children and they can bring those children to the programs and the programs are also for the children. So, for example, we've got. Parent Child Mother Goose, which is a evidence-based program where the mothers are, um, you know, they're, they're sort of learning to help their, their children with reading and uh, they're gaining skills themselves. And so it's, um, it's a nice uh, learning environment for everybody. And, and we hope that we have better outcomes for the mothers and better outcomes for the children um, as a result of that early learning, quality early learning. Mm. Uh, and we do that with a range of partners. So with with the City of Yarra um, in delivering that 
uh, in delivering part of that. We've had a grant from the Readings Foundation, sorry, back to the back to the funding. Um, for our community development programs, we usually get some funding um, from philanthropic or some other government programs for, for our different projects. Um, so for example, our referral and support service, we need to be funded for that. So we've actually got We've actually got a grant for that from um, from the Department of uh, Families, Fairness and um, Housing. Uh, yes, so Readings Foundation, we've had um, uh, a, a number of different um, collaborations with that. Kids Own Publishing is another one. Can you talk, what is the Reading Foundation? Readings Foundation, you might know the bookstore Readings. They have a foundation and they give, give out grants so you know you can mm. apply for a grant and they're obviously very interested in literacy and uh supporting um really supporting grassroots projects mm -hmm. um so yeah that's really helpful to us mm. Mm. beautiful work the um uh the relationship between uh parents and their children or mo particularly mothers have got who are available uh to engage in reading with their children is um is known to be an effective uh, pathway to literacy as well. So uh, uh, even the ability to read. In the space, it seems like it's um, on the scale of things, the illiteracy in a first language, uh, maybe coming from an oral tradition and then coming and working in Australia or attempting to work in Australia with uh, uh, literacy skills that um, won't match the demands of the space, uh, must be extraordinarily challenging. Um, how do people, how do people deal with that? Like, what, how do they, how does that affect the way that they, how does it affect them every day? What? The, the people who are, who have the literacy issue, yeah. do you mean? Mm -hmm. uh, well, um, I, I think life is difficult. Uh, life is difficult because we increasingly need literacy and, you know, that includes digital literacy. Um, you know, we, to, in order to function, you know, you've got to be able to get onto the Centrelink app. You've got to just jump online for things. And how, you know, how do you just jump online if you've got, if you've got low literacy? So we um, have, and especially over COVID, we've really, you know, we had to do the pivot and, um, and really work hard on, um, delivering quality digital uh, learning, um, and mm -hmm. so we've we've done a lot to support learners with that, so that they can become confident. It takes it takes time and it takes patience because um, people need a lot of support. But we have found even our very very beginner learners, beginner level learners, um, made incredible progress in the digital literacy space. Um, so with support. You know, people can can move on, but it is it is very hard. And if you haven't got literacy, then how do you parent your children in Australia, the Australian education system? Uh, you know, there there are many barriers for them to fully participate. So, you know, that's where you hope that there are some programs out there that do recognise the the issues that they face and can support them. How are you support? How are you supported by that? Is that? Do you think there is? Um, do you think um, state government policy is? Do you feel like it's encouraging uh, uh, your community to to 
to engage in literacy programs? Do you think they're making it funding-wise or...? Uh, uh, yes, I do. I, I do. Um, um, part of Caring Bush, you know, we're a not-for-profit uh, organisation and we're, we're what is deemed a Learn Local. So we're a Learn Local uh, um, organisation, which means we deliver pre-accredited programs, which I sort of um, got distracted <laughs> before. Uh, we deliver the accredited uh, EL framework and then we deliver the pre-accredited um, programs, some of which are sort of a bit more community development focused, not all of them. And those programs can be quite flexible and they are funded by the state government. So it's a different arm of the higher education skills group and uh, education department and uh they do recognize that we're that we're, you know we are working with vulnerable people who uh don't just march through their programs and end up you know you know they don't just do a 10-week course and, and and then move into employment it takes much longer and uh part of being a successful learner is feeling comfortable in your learning environment and feeling like you're part of a community and that you trust people and all of that takes time uh and uh you know th there is a there is an understanding of that from the from the state government i think um probably less so from the federal government but um the state government i think mm. um through that learn local um does um does acknowledge it and also i have to say you know we we work in uh closely with the department of um Fam families fairness and housing um and and we're we're really quite connected um with what's happening in in that space and you know we have had grant funding from them they recognize like for our referral and support service for example um they you know so you know that they have given us uh, you know, projects so that with an acknowledgement that we're supporting the community with what we're doing. Yeah, nice one. Okay, um, so state government seems to be on side with or recognise the need um, and are prepared to fund it from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what issues are there in resourcing EAL? What what is <clears throat> what counts against uh, this sector? What makes it difficult? Um. Sometimes, sometimes we feel uh, undervalued. I think um, as a as EAL as an EAL sector, um, that we have to fight to sort of um, be heard. That there are other things that take over. For example, literacy. Now, literacy is sort of has taken over a little bit from when people when politicians talk about literacy, they kind of mean language, but they don't really know what the difference is between language and literacy. So, and and I think generally amongst governments, uh, EAL is less valued than a vocational skill where you can move into employment. So that's where there's, uh, that's, a, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to be heard. Don't just push, push EAL to the, to the side because if people don't have the foundation skills, they're not going to be able to successfully move through um, mm. further education and get successful employment, consistent employment, and not just a little bit of a casual job. Yeah, that's you know, right. Yeah, where language isn't actually necessary or, or, or prioritised in the job as well. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's right, and Don't... it's not valued. So you know, I think that's that that's sort of something I think we we have to keep. Um, um, you know, we have to keep advocating for the sector, and uh, and I know we're going to talk about um, my other volunteer work, but um, yeah. Well, let's let's move on to that as well because um, Ray. Uh... It's not raising awareness. It's a, having a mind, mindful consciousness of the um, the implications of literacy or functional illiteracy and how it affects people long term in uh, well in life, full stop. But in uh, employment specifically, when that's necessary for uh, all sorts of things like esteem, as well as paying paying the bills and feeding feeding the family. Um, so mm. literacy. Um, so uh, be mindful and conscious of that as well. Uh, other than people who work in the sector, so um, and to also to eliminate or to educate <laughs> to educate us all in uh, the importance of learning to read, for example. Um, and when we mentioned volunteers, why do volunteers volunteer with you? Yeah, that's interesting, David. Um, we, uh, I guess, people uh, have all sorts of uh, motivations for for volunteering. Often people want to give back in some way. They're, they are interested in doing something meaningful. Um, and so they fit it in around their lives. Uh, and it's, it's quite interesting. We have quite young younger people who are at university, whatever, and, and they're, they're interested in doing something meaningful, something grassroots actually supporting people on the ground. Uh, we have retired teachers uh, who are interested in doing something productive um, in their retirement that, that's using their skills um, and and you know it's lovely working with with people and using your skills um, and actually connecting to to people on the ground and um, feeling like you're um, you're, you're making a difference to them and uh, learning a bit about their lives and uh, it, it can be quite a rewarding um, volunteer role you know volunteers do different things uh, yeah, individual yeah. <laughs> Uh, that and that's been my experience as well. So, for the from the volunteers' perspective, we learn a lot about other people. We learn a lot about other people's backgrounds that we wouldn't be able to know otherwise. Uh, so we yes, learn it first and that's hand. really that's right, and that's really rewarding uh, as a volunteer. Uh, it's uh, you, you learn a lot yourself, and uh, and people really enjoy that and enjoy being part of the of the community there of learners and uh, and of staff members and of other volunteers too. Mm -hmm. Nice one. Um, does some of that happen online, or does it all happen face to face at your place? Uh, it's mostly face to face now. We um, we were all that that was all um, face to face before COVID. Over COVID, we the the volunteering ended up being <laughs> ended up being mostly volunteering to support with di the digital in the digital space to help people. You know. That was obviously a very big, a big thing for people to become proficient enough. They had to get on Zoom and they had to do various um, other things. Um, and so now we're pivoting. We're pivoting back to mainly face to face. Yep. Um, mm. Things are changing. Um, we uh, we didn't we talked. We haven't mentioned carrying books. What is carrying books? Oh, carrying books. So a few years ago, I think it might have been been 2018, we um, had a grant that was a grant from um, this, a state government grant, uh, and we developed some a, a, a set of um, books um, for beginner level adult learners. Uh, and the reason we did that was because there are not that many of them out there. And so, you know, what do they, what's something nice 
meaningful, authentic, that learners can read, that teachers can work with. Um, and, you know, there are a couple of things out there and we thought, well, look, let's let's make our own. So we, um, you know, it was, a, it was a very large piece of work. You know, we had a book publisher help us with the design of the books. We did some, uh, we've actually got some hard copy versions, but they're not really for sale. We, we developed the hard copy versions. We used our own people. We had professional photographers actually who were drawn from our connections. Um, and we developed the, the script and that, you know, they look really great. Um, they are available free uh, on our website, PDF versions of the books. And um, there's also an, a companion app that uh, is available on both platforms. Um, and it's an interactive app and you can tap on the and uh, on a whole sentence or on individual words or on chunks of text so that um, it's you know the idea is that it's actually quite helpful um, for for pronunciation as well nice one. Oh, perfect and that's oh, that's kind of where we're up to in this space as well and that's and it's certainly something that I'm very interested in is enabling readers to access texts uh, through um, audio versions or through highlighting words or through uh, interacting with the with the reading process in itself and very much interested in that area can um, when who wrote these books and uh, were they are they refugee and migrant themes is that uh, so the, the, the books were written by um uh by a group of of Caring bush team members and they um the themes are are you know someone's um someone is sick and they have to call up the office and um, there's another one uh taking children out um you know, a busy Saturday. Yeah. Another yeah. one. Um, um, I've just can't, I can't remember all the names. So they're quite practical. Uh, th- so they're, they're day-to-day they're, themes. Yeah, yeah. They're day-to-day themes. They're for beginner-level learners. They're for very. They're very much for beginner-level learners. But um, even you know, yep. um, slightly higher-level learners would enjoy the app for the uh, for the interactive nature of it. Uh, so it, you know they're quite it's quite nice for learners you can and you can you can do a lot with it as a teacher you can do a lot with with a with the text yep. um and really draw it out and have a lot of activities related to the text mm. nice work okay so they're, they're, it's interactive and they're fun and there's a digital component to them as well um and they're contemporary and i bet they probably look good and they do they look really lovely yeah, they yeah. look really lovely Really nice, mm. and that was a Melbourne-based project, was it? That was local people. Melbourne. Yep, yep, and, and local. And so we've got our students featured in them. We've got our students and our staff. That's right. Someone goes to the doctor, and we've got a pretend doctor. And the doctor is a staff member. Yeah, yeah. nice one. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So they can identify mm. with the material. So there's a car- yes. there's a caring bush aura about about the. Yeah, that's era. right. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's got a feel. Yeah, so I, re- I, I recommend them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice one. Uh, really great. Awesome. Um, uh, as far as volunteers go, do you think that the um, how long do volunteers stay with you? I mean, are some of them there for for a month, or are some of them are there we, for a year? Yes, yeah, we've had we've had some for several years, um, and we have some. Uh, from time to time, we get people to do a short term project with us. Uh, we, you know, we had someone make a um, actually a video about working with volunteers. They might come in, they might just come in and help in a conversation group. Um, they might stay for longer. Uh, there's all sorts of 
um, volunteer experiences that we've um, that we've had and different lengths of um, of engagement. Yeah, nice one. So you're so you're good at coordinating volunteers. <laughs> uh, well, yes, because it is a whole other piece of work, and yep. uh, we have a volunteer coordinator uh, to to support with that. Yeah. Yep. Ah, right. Whose job is to coordinate the volunteers? Yeah, nice one. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, um, what other activities happen? So there's a bit of reading, a lot of language learning stuff. Uh, is there? Uh, do you eat food? Uh, well, food is a wonderful um, topic to bring everybody together because we all need food. Uh, so we, uh, and of course, we've got some fabulous cooks amongst our um, in our community. And um, so we would often have, um, um, well, we haven't actually done it for a couple of years because of COVID, but we would, you know, have lots of uh, gatherings where we people would share food and, um, and then um, that can be helpful, especially for the lower level learners, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really talking about food. And um, in fact, over COVID, we had teachers um, uh, work with their learners to create digital cookbooks and you know we've got um, the the students sort of went away and found out recipes and um, mm -hmm. wrote the recipes and then they had to speak, describe the background to the recipe. And if you yep. click on the click on the um, page, you can get a little bit of audio from the from the student. Who and, organised um, that? <laughs> teachers. Uh, that was yeah. The teachers did that. Yeah. yeah. Some really lovely work was done. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that, and uh, those sort of experiences are memorable as well. Um, not only language. Well, they are. Yeah. They are, and that it's and it's uh, everyone's interested in food, and um, and uh, and then having a, that lovely product at the end was really was really great. And and at that time they couldn't get together to eat, but um, you know they were they were cooking at home and sharing on the screen. Oh uh, no! How brilliant! Alrighty, so they, they can be be in each other's living room or kitchens. Yeah, that's a brilliant that's right. idea. So there's a lot of digital literacy levels involved in that. Um, one of the other people we're going to interview later on in the um, this series is a is a man from a lecturer from Melbourne University in he's talking about CLIL, which is content language embedded learning. Um, and we realised that this is the bit that I understand is that uh, the, the the development of English in context is where it's at. So if we're giving people a context to to use to to, to draw on their language, um, yeah. is uh, for a practical reason. So if we put if we tell people cook and talk, it's a good idea. But That's shop, right. yeah, shop and talk is a good idea as well. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit related to project based learning, which I'm really interested in. Um, uh, to try to get better outcomes um, for adult learners in particular, but of course it's relevant to all learners, um, where you're actually learning, you know, yeah. by doing something that's meaningful to you. So it's related to CLIL. Um, you, uh, it's not just sort of something out of a textbook. It's, yes, you, you've, got, you've got a project. Yeah. Right. So the context is real, and the um, and the need for the for the language, the uh, we use real language in those contexts as well. So we're all supporting that. We really love that idea. The the idea also the element that it's on that there's a digital component as well is actually really good as well because there's a degree of mm. uh, skill development going on there, and also confidence building. Uh, yeah. And probably intergenerational stuff happening as well. Um, Absolutely, mm -hmm. and we we had that uh, over COVID. We had children and various people coming and helping people. Uh, to assist with their digital learning, which was really, um, you know, quite difficult during COVID when we're all locked down in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, 
but, um, but, but it was essential at the time to develop those skills straight away. So Absolutely. And if you're a second yeah. language, if, if your first language is Vietnamese and you're trying to operate a, a Mac in English, it must be, uh, you, need a, you need a young person around to be able to yeah. do some of the translation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and we actually had at the time we had a lot of uh, a lot of people didn't have um, adequate devices. Most of them had a phone, but most, uh, many of them had to share a device at home, and then they didn't have adequate data. Right. We're, yep, we're aware yeah, of that so. as well. So there's, we're aware that digital literacy is a problem. We're well, we're aware that all sorts of problems. There are all sorts of problems, and um, resourcing is one of them. But we also know that from my experience is that most students everywhere have a phone. Somebody in the family's got a phone. So if you want to yeah. reach the family, uh, if you want to, yeah, yeah, uh, for it, it's a very, very, it, it's become a very, very important tool. Um, and if you if you can, and that's really very meaningful learning for the for the student. Give me your phone, and let's let's help you. You know what is it that you're wanting to do? How do you use Google Translate? How do you know? There's a wealth of um, resource resources also that's right there's a wealth of education resources through google as well which enable language learning to happen you mentioned one is google translate and then um yeah. other ways of, yeah, of using images to translate uh to find meaning i wonder what that word means i find an image to match the word um yes. i get it translated back yeah. in my first language or i get a definition yeah. i get wikipedia to explain what it is that i'm looking at or looking yes for. yep yes so neat and and helping helping learners navigate that you know, it's really um, helping to equip them with it's, the skills yeah. that they that they need. Yep, and that's a set great. So that's and that's teacher no, or content knowledge as well, or teachers being aware mm. that that's uh, part of the curriculum as well. Which probably leads back mm. to what is the curriculum too, which is EAL. And I'm um, I know that people who uh, EAL is embedded in the um, is part is a is a streamed unit in uh, the ed, in state education. So and as it was in New South Wales, it is here as well. So those. Those, there, are, there are frameworks for learning as well. So it's not over time. So I imagine that if students stay with you for, and that's the question as well, how long do students stay with you for? Well, again, any amount of time. We've, we've had them for, um, from short periods to longer periods. We've had some students with us for a number of years. Uh, they take a long time to move through. Yep. And do, move through the levels. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a long and accumulative process as well. And then uh, and of confidence building and solving problems and feeling that it's all working properly as it should do as well. Is is there a means, where do they go afterwards? I mean, do they go afterwards? Is there an afterwards? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, they might move, go on to some further training. So they might go, you know, we've had students sort of go into various certificate three in various um, areas. Uh, or they go into employment um, and they, you know, go into various, um, depending, it depends on their background. If, you know, if, if, if we're talking about the cohort who have, uh, who've had more disadvantage, well, then that tends to stay with them. They tend to, you know, go into entry level jobs. If you've got people who um, come with um, learning skills, they're educated already, they've really got to get a bit of English under their belt, um, they will sort of move more quickly and, you know, get, get, go into something higher level. Um, right. So, so we've so, sort okay. of had it. Yep. So, and and you, must, you, you must have students, turn over your place, um, from all different levels. So there'll be those who are, who are We've talked about this before about their most a lot of your students are at beginner level with other other you know learning uh, challenges going on 
But did yeah. you do you get um, um, refugees and migrants that turn up who are well skilled or were skilled in the yeah, previous? Yeah, we do. Yep. We do. We have we have all of them, and so you've got to um, sort of accommodate all of those in a in a class. Uh, and so it does depend on their yeah. on their motivation and on their learning goals. What what, what are they learning for? And so to, if they've come with no literacy, they you know they would probably take a long time to move through, and they might not be pushing so much to uh, to get a um, to get a job. Maybe um, so we have people uh, coming with all kinds of motivations and different levels of um, education in. And, and skills from their own um, background, so they, you know, we have to accommodate those them differently. And people who come in and and they want to they want to get a professional job within a you know a few months, well, they have a different sort of um, you know sort of set of um, um, requirements in a way for the and the teacher can't just sort of the teacher's really got to be very conscious of of how to accommodate their needs. So you know. It's like any classroom. You've got a group of people and they're not all the same as each other and the teacher has to be aware of how to support each one of them and, and try to help them meet their goals. Brilliant. Yep. Um, uh, now, we've got a little bit of time left. You, uh, you are the immediate past president of the umbrella organisation for uh, states and territories... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> TESOL groups. So, and you're currently president of the Vic TESOL uh, Association. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experience there, and also how effective is that as a body of um, as a body that coordinates uh, teachers or practitioners yeah. of uh, the teaching of English? Yes. So, uh, so ACTA, Australian Council of TESOL Associations, uh, is the umbrella organisation for um, each chapter. Um, Vic Tesol is one uh, that is for each state and territory have their own um, member organisation. Now, uh, and so each of that, that's all non-profit uh, um, people volunteering to be part of the committee to uh, really, it's all around professional, at the state level, it's all around professional learning for teachers. So um, at Vic Tesol, um, Anybody can jump on uh, our website and have a look at some of the events that we've had in the past and what we've got coming up. Um, all sorts of events, professional learning opportunities for uh, teachers at all levels, from adult, uh, at primary, secondary, and then early childhood as well. Um, so that we, we do the full breadth and um, we have a small grant at Vic Tesol uh, to support us. So we, we've got an administrative officer who uh, who can keep it, everything chugging over a little bit. Uh, but we have an executive and a committee of management um, who pull it all together. And you know, really, we're all passionate about uh, providing professional learning opportunities for EAL teachers. Um, so that is what we do, and we have partner partnerships with. Um, um, NGV, Immigration Museum, Zoos Victoria, um, Parliament, um, where we, you know, try to provide um, more um, interesting learning for the teachers to uh, assist them to create better opportunities for their learners. Uh, now, so Vic Tesol is, uh, sits under ACTA, and ACTA um, is more um, around advocacy. 
So we meet um, with representatives from each of the um, state and territory associations, and we um, try to advocate for the for the field nationally. So, for example, ACTA was quite strongly involved in the uh, advocacy around the new AMEP contract and uh, really putting forth um, our views on what we felt it should be. And when the draft came out, um, we gave our thoughts about the, what we thought was needing to be improved in that draft. And um, that that work is ongoing. And we've, you know, we've met with, we meet with politicians and senior department heads and um, have uh, really tried to um, be very involved in that. Um, uh, we were actually actually talking to the union movement at the moment as well, looking at conditions for teachers in, in the new contract. Um, we, uh, we've we had a schools roadmap. If anyone would care to have a look at the, at the ACTA website, uh, you'll can, you can see we've got a schools roadmap for moving forward with EALD, uh, D being dialect. Um, that's sort of very interesting to look at the background to EAL provision and how it's um, uh, perhaps been neglected and what where we think it needs to go forward. EAL wasn't a um, uh, it wasn't specified as a particular learning area that needed um, attention, mm -hmm. and so it's been left off data collection, which of course feeds into funding. Uh, down the track. So we're hoping to uh, contribute to that discussion and to the change in policy there. We've just released um, some early childhood principles, which is a set of principles that we um, uh, it, that were developed in consultation with some experts in the field looking at um, you know how do English language learners who bring other resources to the table, how are they best served um, from an early age? Because if they can be well served at an early age, they're going to have better outcomes going forward. Uh, it's better for their families as well. So we've uh, we've been doing a lot of work uh, in that in that space and it they, at all it's quite interesting being a, a bit cross-sectorial how the work in the different areas sort of feeds into each other and mm -hmm. uh it, it doesn't sort of sit sit separately um one of the interesting things that uh what one one aspect of the um uh early childhood principles is talking about principles of um of translanguaging really valuing the resources that learners of any age bring to the classroom uh, and rather than having a deficit model view of of the learner where they need to be brought up to scratch it's like how can we utilize their strengths and they have many strengths and how can we utilize their language resources to help them get better outcomes in their english mm -hmm. learning yeah. Um, and we've at Victisa, we've done quite a bit, uh, quite a number of sessions on translanguaging across at the, at the different levels, and uh, I think that, that that's sort of something for teachers to keep in mind going forward. Now, the obviously that's well, obviously it's where it's at, and when I say obviously, because everybody I've spoken to has got any credibility <laughs> believes that this is the this is this is an appropriate appropriate approach to to um, uh, to language. 
uh, which is that we don't live in a monocultural world and we live in a, in a um, pluralistic, a, plural, a plurilingual world uh, where we need to acknowledge that the thoughts and processes and life goes on in different languages and how do we access that uh, for, and we, how do we enable learning to happen uh, using that knowledge or that awareness. Um, so it seems like contemporary, it seems like uh, I'm interested in how you're seeing it work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question because um, it, it can be hard to it can be hard to picture um, as a teacher what does it look like in a classroom and I think um, there are different there are different things that can be tried where even small things like having uh, some words or phrases around around a room that um, are in other languages that of, of students who are in the classroom. Or it could be that in an activity, yeah, the teacher might ask students of a particular language group to discuss a concept in their strong language, mm -hmm. discuss, that, discuss the concept, and then tell everybody else in English. And so they've got the concepts, they can sort that out and then they do the English part on top and then they can be supported to, uh, you know, improve the language, their, their English, the English aspect of that. But they've done the thinking in their best language and it will help them to um, be to, better at, at, at yeah, English. Yeah. Um, and to access memory, for example, access life experiences and access prior learning. Um, Absolutely, yeah. because they bring they bring prior learning, they bring prior experiences, they're not empty vessels. And and I think sometimes teachers need to be reminded of that and to think, okay, and not to be afraid uh, of not being an expert at all the languages yes. that are present in your classroom. It's a bit, and it can be a bit daunting, but if you consider it to be a resource. Yep. Um, and also a learning, experience with a, yeah, and a learning experience with a teacher in lots of ways as well. I've just, uh, so my experience is when I worked at uh, Deakin for a couple of years, I was very lucky to have that experience there while I was studying at Melbourne and also they gave me a job there and working with English as for academic purposes across the levels and then working in a master's qualifying program. This idea of, of enabling students to, to develop ideas in their first language in a group uh, and then uh, and then access, then use English as the, as the lingua the, of the room in order to communicate so we'd all understand each other. It has profound resonance because um, last year when I was, uh, I've spent some time working with the British, I mean, we do this at E2 Language, we talk with our, our people, our people from languages other than English. So, and to some extent we are, we're, we're preparing them for test readiness, in which case we, we, we enable them to talk, to communicate in English, to practice their English at that level. But there's a lot of learning that goes on I mean, there's, there's a lot of life experience that goes on beyond beyond the preparation for the test, which enables people to understand the the, the, the ideas behind the questions, for example, and formulating ideas before in another language, even before we respond in, respond in an English essay, is an English interesting concept as well, which we maybe haven't exploited as much as we as we should. Which is to I want you to spend ten minutes writing down in your own language uh, your uh, key points to the response to this um, this academic task, and then and then I want you to spend twenty minutes writing in English. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right, and, and it's and it's and it's supporting learners to use all the resources that they've got, and they've got you know that and they might have several languages, some of them, and 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 people you know can draw on you can any people draw on languages in a variety of ways, and to as teachers to try to um, just to be think think creatively how can I um, 
how can I prompt students who they might have they and and it's a, sort of a it's um it's a confidence building thing as well. Susan, I know that you I know that you know about this. You you think about it in your in your first language and then tell me. Yeah, that's right. so. At the and the teacher is it aware that that they are likely to know things that that, that some of the other the teachers unaware of, or that other classmates are unaware of as well, which is. Um, content material for exploration and then for language, for the exploration of language and the way that we communicate those ideas as well. So, but particularly, so if I talk to, and that's been my experience as well, if I talk to somebody from uh, a culture I've got very little idea about, uh, I will learn from them immediately. Yes, and you might, yeah, you might learn something about their culture and then you may learn something about their language. Oh, you know, how would you say that? Oh, you say it like that. That's different. You put the verb in a different place. Okay, you know, and so there can be quite a rich discussion. It is a very rich um, discussion. We've, ta- we've talked about, and I think that's that's. I've just recently been very lucky to do. And explain to Sam. I found this in my bag at last. A course with um, a man called Scott Thornbury who teaches um, uh, yeah. around the world. But it's alternative approaches to second language acquisition, and he's. Um, very much the writing in this is completely compatible with what you're saying and that these are the yeah. theoreticians the researchers but the practice the, the uber teachers in a way who describe what it is that we do is there a, is there a theory an overall arching theory about second language acquisition and it turns out well maybe there isn't but there are certainly different approaches to language teaching and one was a directly cognitive approach which was to say that we're going to learn this amount of language we store it in our memory we take it with us um, and we learnt that and, and and that's the language that we access the other side of it is that there's a social aspect to learning or a social linguistic aspect which is that we learn language in context usefully and then we access the language and use the language that we need in order to communicate effectively in that context and most contemporary think or a lot of there's a lot of emphasis on contemporary thinking is that that's the way that we learn that's the way we remember and that's the way that how we engage in language learning so it's an exciting level that there's a social aspect that the research is come into the realm that explains and uh, supports the idea that there's a so, there's a serious social aspect to learning which goes alongside a cognitive approach to learning which means that things like what you're saying is that somebody in mandarin has a different word order or or doesn't use the past tense or doesn't have mm-hmm. plurals and somebody from an italian background is uh, has a has a, a latin based language where which is closer to in many ways to the way that french and spanish and english work as well so we become aware of the metal the, the structures of language as well so we yes. we do like grammar comparisons and those sorts of things which makes english as additional language learners more language conscious in lots of ways than most first language learners except those who are at an extremely at a high level who take it on as a as a, as a yes. subject of choice yeah Yes, that's right, and I think it's very it's interesting um, for for all the learners, and it's quite affirming for them to um, be valued uh, for for what they know and what they can bring to the. And class. I think, if in my memory, my experience, that's the most important aspect of them all. If the student smiles, mm. uh, the job has been done. Meaning they've been given a chance to be recognised. Uh, yes. They've been given an identity, and they've been given a chance yes. to, to allow to be themselves. Yeah. And I think that was what yeah. Julie Choi taught it at um, Melbourne University, which was of this idea mm-hmm. of um, uh, uh, the plurilingualism, or the idea that in the classroom yeah. there are people who come from different cultures, these different languages to speak every day, and then in the classroom we say, "I want you to, to, to demonstrate the past simple." Um, it stops them talking about what it was like to be a child in Korea. So. 
Yeah, yeah, that's and right. It blocks their identity, and that idea, the idea of identity is is significant too. Or uh, creation that language in uh, step, uh, there's a relationship between English uh, between language and identity, uh, and for a teacher, absolutely, yeah. yes, and that's what we you, the early childhood principles. That's one of the things that we've um, that we've talked about there. That that whole family, you know, don't who might be thinking, oh, we've got to just speak in English so that our child is successful. Uh, it's like, no, you need to nurture that first language, you need to keep that culture going, and then you, you need to utilise it to help you be a better English better, language. Better, better language yeah. expert. That's right, which is why young people, we think, become very good at language, and their, their parents are, are still learning. Uh, so it's a, um, the speed of acquisition of new or new learning is faster in younger people than it is in older people, but also older people, haven't have, the demands haven't been so serious on them. So young younger yeah. people are in it and we, you talked about young people learning before which is um where we and so if we address some of the issues of literacy for example at an early age particularly primary and if we deal with things very seriously at that age group we've got a better chance of us not creating a complicated <laughs> uh yes. yeah, spaghetti highway yeah. version of learning yeah that's right the, the earlier we can get going and for and for the adults in those children's lives to to understand some of the things that are going on there and the value the value of having additional languages, you know, going on in their lives, I think, is really important. And um, where, you know, students are likely to go further uh, if they've got a richer background. A richer really. background. Now, and, uh, that's an interesting topic too, because I've come from down from New South Wales. I've been here for I don't know period of time, but the um, I've noticed that in in schools, in primary schools in Victoria, there is a lot of second language learning going on, and there's some schools have. Um, other languages embedded into the uh, as part of the learning process as well. So that's that's quite exciting uh, to see. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that's a it's a it's a it's a learning it's a um, cultural awareness, and it's also it's a what I love about it is it actually relates to what's going on the street. So if we walk out of here, yes, that's right. It's it's more real world. I think it does. It probably really broadens the mind. Uh, you know, to and to uh, have to you know try to think in another language and try to figure out problem solve it's another form of problem That's solving, problem solving. Um, yep. genius but it's a window a window into some other cultures too mm. yes and also perhaps it reduces conflict perhaps it creates awareness perhaps yes. it uh, uh, yeah. uh, creates better understanding and better levels of communication as well um, so just briefly if you can um, perhaps let us know what you think in this tumultuous time that is a I mean, for some of us, it's tumultuous. For other people, it's tumultuous exponentially. So, um, in this time, in this these changing days that we live in, literally, um, what do you see as the joys and successes uh, that, um, particularly students uh, or adults at Caringbush, uh, uh, take away from their experiences with you? Um, well, I think um, you know, there's a there's a nice community feel um at at, at Caringbush and so people feel like they're valued I would like to think um and I think in terms of um of successes one of the big successes and I think I mentioned this um over COVID you know we at the beginning of COVID we started handing out um hard copy packs to learners, sort of basically dropping them off at their houses because the Australia Post sort of were not operating very well. And then we gradually, gradually 
you know, ramped up. Bear in mind, we're in Melbourne, which we were just locked down for years on end, it seemed. Um, uh, and we gradually, gradually got students onto WhatsApp and then onto Zoom. And then, you know, we really, really developed our own capacity as an organisation uh, to support to support the learners to to support teachers because we had to support the teachers who were on a major major learning curve to get their own skills um, ready uh, to to a point where they could really uh, support in some cases very low level learners remotely. Um, but they did it, and it really there were some really really great outcomes out of it. Uh, and we would have we would say that we wouldn't have believed the outcomes that we got um, that people did rise to the occasion and they found a way and the people you know our learners they did want to engage they did want to jump on and there were some very funny stories but they were, did want to jump on and they did get into whatsapp groups and um you know, there were some really fabulous things that went on. And so, you know, really that that was a joy to, to know that uh, we were helping people to really stay connected and, um, and, and more than that, you know, develop their skills in a very meaningful way. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yep. So, yeah, so great community and, um, you know, happy to be involved. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And there's the rewards. That was a wonderful conversation. Um, there are so much that we'd like to pick up on again because... Uh, really, you're practice, You're applying the theory <laughs> to people's real lives, mm. uh, and mm. um, we want to. We want. We want to see. Um, we want to see it work. Um, you have our full support here at E2 Language. Whatever we could do along the way, um, if we were able to help Thank in you. any way, if we were able to uh, mm. just students drop into any free classes that we're having or anything like that, or, or mm. uh, to broaden their community as well, and particularly their mm. online community. Uh, we have free mm -hmm. spelling classes and grammar classes uh, currently. <laughs> Could change next mm -hmm. next week. Uh, we got them on um, spelling, grammar, and um, pronunciation classes. Particularly pronunciation classes are interesting, and they we yep. have maybe about 120 students in each of those from around the world. So it's another opportunity to meet with students from around the world and just enjoy the you know, aspect of mm -hmm. being in a room with other people learning. You'd be most welcome to join those free um, mm -hmm. and as part of our extended community as well. Um, and also give your your adult learners a chance to, uh, and mm -hmm. younger learners as well, a chance to um, yeah. extend their sense of community, like community, particularly online, so no one feels isolated, and they've got groups to yeah. work with, and they're developing language yeah. skills and communication skills and solving problem-solving skills along the way as well. Um, and they, so I really appreciate your time, Margaret. Thank you very much, and may. Um, uh, remember that it's Corrigan and Caringbush are two different completely words. different. Uh, entities <laughs> thanks david thanks margaret take care thank you very much and that's it thanks for listening to e2 talks make sure to follow e2 on linkedin for our most recent updates and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast <laughs>